Let me turn down the output. Radio Mysterioso banter. There has to be banter. I mean, it's yes. not. Um, it, it it has become a mainstay, and I'm insistent about having banter at the beginning because nobody else yeah. has it. They just kind of open up, or who knows what. But yeah. I I like I'm, having I'm, this. Go ahead. I'm trying to remember when um, there's like a point listening to the show when it became clear that the the banter before the opening was now a thing, and uh, it's like oh I like that yeah so it's like oh wow look sounds like you hit the record button too soon you know it's just a little like behind the curtain thing that's yeah I just that, like uh, it these, these yeah. things happen organically I don't know why they happen um, I've also been talking with people and they say you know when are you gonna and i think i've discussed this on the show before when are you going to make it a an official thing or uh, maybe you should do a patreon or whatever it's called all these things i i don't want to do that i don't know what's wrong with me well you know it's it's tough to get locked into to anything that would make you have to do things in a certain way because people are paying a certain amount and you know whatever you say you get for this amount, you know then yeah. you have to do it. So I think that would be kind of limiting, you know. And you you couldn't be as uh, as free free form as you might want it to be. Yeah, I think that's it. It's something to do with yeah, just the freedom of it. I don't want to be beholden to anybody, um, a time schedule or anything. Uh, for instance, as I told uh, Aaron before we came on here. This is the first live show I've done besides the music show last week and probably over a month. And uh, I was figuring people were getting a little bit antsy. I sure was because I've got um, I'm halfway through editing Preston Dennett. The week got away from me. I said I was going to post last Monday, but nobody really cares, gets mad at me or anything like that because it's it's just there for free, just like it's always been. So I, I like doing it that way. Um, it sounds like that's what the uh, saucer life is about, too. Yeah, um, it, it really is. I, I've been, you know, I started off, like, I think originally I was going to do like, well, once once a month I should be able to do this. And I was like, oh, this is too much fun. And then it was every other week. And then for a while it was every week. And then, like, real job and everything just got crazy. <laughs> and so I was like, ah, oh, i got to pull this back to, I have to tell people it's going to be, you know, every other week for the next the next block of six. Um, so I'm not, you know, just, so I don't disappear, you know, so it's, it's intentional. And, um, then I was like, well, golly, since, you know, I said it was every other week, I I realized I'm, I'm still doing the entire episode, all the, all the research and writing and recording and editing in in like the same three days. It always took me right before I upload it. So maybe I could do this weekly again. And then I'm thinking, Oh, but then I'm committing to weekly. And what if I, you know, slack off? Or what if I run out of things I want to talk about enough to actually be motivated to do it? Because um, I think we're up to, oh gosh, this will be 24 episodes Hmm. by the end of the, we're we're like 23. Today was number 23, I think. Yeah, whole number 23. So, um, and and there's such a a wide swath of, of flying saucer topics that I just hate talking about that I worry that I'm going to run out of stuff that I find fun. So I kind of want to pace myself a little bit. Or or I could just, you know, branch out and actually leave my comfort zone a little bit. But that's you, no fun. Yeah, well, I think you'll do it because leaving the comfort, the comfort zone does end up to be fun, even though it's, you know, it's like, should I step off this cliff or not? 
yeah, yeah, you know, the, the nice, you know, vertiginous feeling of I might die now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I compare that to the, the probably the first time I went paragliding. I'm going to run off this hill. Actually, the first time I paraglided off a cliff, I'm going to run off this cliff and the wing will hold me up. It's held me up before, so I guess it's going to hold me up. But you don't know what's going to happen ultimately. <laughs> it's just uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, it, it, nothing ventured, nothing gained, whatever. Yep. Should I play the opening yep. here? We've we've got listeners now, which is nice. Sure. Yes. Let's do the opening. Which one do you like? It's Greg. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. it has the word glutes in it, I think. Yes, it does. <laughs> hey, who? What? Get your hands up. Tell me you are. Don't move. Don't reach for them guns. Take it easy, you glutes. Put away the hardware and relax. <laughs> oh, it's Greg. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll let Criswell talk as he's, as he's supposed to. interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Okay, let's. Uh, I'll turn that one down now. Fade, fade, fade. Actually, hello to. Um, there is a Lily Yabo who is somebody that heard me on uh, Coast to Coast last week. I think I picked up oh. like eight listeners because of Coast to Coast. You know, you get cool. something like two million people listening, and then like five actually react. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are the five you care about. Yes, I, I I love I love the listeners. I think it's great. I mean, it's um. What about you? You know, when you get you, you do your pre-records, you don't do them live. So how do you get right. any feedback? And and what are people saying? I mean, I I love the show that I, I told Aaron. I've listened to two. I'm, I've listened to the first one, which was about Gr- Grim Grizz. What was her name? Um, Grismondi. Yeah, Helen Grismondi, yeah. which was extremely strange. And I also listened to um, the Adamski one because I really wanted to. And it's very. It's a refreshingly short and, you know, all this information in like 15 minutes, you know? No, that's because I talk too fast. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, yeah, usually what I, what I get, I've gotten some comments on the, uh, the actual website, but mostly it's, um, I get a lot of uh, mostly uh, Twitter feedback on Facebook as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
mostly what what people have been saying is is been overwhelmingly positive, uh, which is which is really nice. Uh, a lot of people who, and, and this is what I, I always hope happens with this, is I they get just enough information that they can go out and and have a more informed way of looking at some aspects of UFO and flying saucer history that they might not have had before. Um, for example, I, I did a I did a show about um, the Borderland Science Research Associates and ah. uh, Mead Lane and and uh, Mark Probert and uh, and all of that and how really I mean if you want to get picky they really were contactees before Adamski was but uh, Adamski always yes. gets you know always gets the uh, the credit. Oh so yeah, that happens with anything. Yeah, so so that's one that, that people didn't a lot of people didn't know about. Um, the most interesting feedback I got was I uh, I just recently did a a two epic an epic two parter about <laughs> um, the the story behind uh, the um, the book when prophecy fails. Oh, so um, the God uh, damn I'm so the, far the, behind. The, the woman who in Chicago, whose name I can never remember, uh, but Charles Lawton, a doctor at Michigan State University here in Michigan, he uh, lost his job over pushing the um, – all I can think of is, is, is Marion Keach, and that's the name that yeah. was in the book. Right, right. That's um, the only one and, I can think of too. I, I, it's it in was, the – go ahead. Yeah, this is this is really bugging me because I should know this. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, Dorothy Dorothy Martin. That's Dorothy it. Martin. That's it. That's it. Dorothy Martin. Dorothy Keech. Martin. <laughs> yep. So Dorothy, Dorothy Martin, Marion Teach. Yeah. So, um, thank you. Charles Lawford was, um, was this doctor at Michigan state who was pushing these stories on his kids and while well, his students and people who worked at, uh, people who worked at the university. And then he ends up losing his job and going out to Chicago or Lake city, as it was called in when prophecy fails. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 you know, after that, what's interesting is he and his wife had gone to visit George Adamski um, while this was going on. And then after the, the prophecy of these cataclysms and, and the approaching end of the world thing doesn't come true, all of them go hook up with George Hunt Williamson and mm-hmm. end up going down to South America. Right. So that's, you know, an aspect of it that I, you know, I, I read the book at some point. In grad school, I think, and I never really put it together with um, with Adamski and uh, and Williamson and, and his um, his seven ra- seven rays uh, brotherhood of the seven rays or whatever it was. Um, right, exactly. Down in uh, down in South America. Right. So the, the, the and it, the, and it the fell best... apart after a little while because um, oh yeah because uh, yeah, uh, really, I think as really Williamson's perfect. wife died and somebody yeah, died a, and and, and yeah, they, his, there was infighting and. Go ahead. His wife died in, I was going to say in a in a suspicious manner, but honestly, the only reference I've seen to that is in Mosley's autobiography. So I don't know if I want to throw around suspicious manner, but um, in what Mosley said was a sp- suspicious manner. But after that, well, episode, we know what Mosley would when, say. So yes, <laughs> um, it's 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 shockingly close to the truth. Um, it, uh, as uh, after that that two-part episode went out, I got a, a message on the website from um, a guy who wrote a book, or no, wrote a play yeah. about this whole thing called Sananda Says, 
back in uh, back in 1977. What? And, uh, Amazing. Uh, yes, Sananda says, because uh, Sananda Jesus, you know, is who she was hearing from. And um, then he also filled me in about um, about uh, a, a book called oh, a book called something, um, a book called Imaginary Friends. Uh, that was based on it, a novel. And then there was a BBC radio play based on that novel that just was produced just a few years ago. So that was pretty interesting. He also um, – This, this just keeps spinning out into different media. It's I, ama- I didn't know about any of this. I didn't either. And I guess I, I saw on Amazon the, uh, the novel well, was, some was of available it anyway. dirt cheap. Um, and the BBC Radio 4 website no longer has the radio play for downloading and, and listening, so I haven't been able to track it down. But um, the guy also said, and I, I need to get back in touch with him, but uh, he said in, in a comment on the website that he'd done a lot of research into William Dudley Pelly mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. actually had uh, had some connection with his family and there was things he would tell me in email, but not in a public forum about Pelly. And I'm like, well, I need to get in touch with this guy. So, you know, I, I, I haven't. But, um, yeah, so sometimes some interesting, interesting stuff comes out of the woodwork like that. But, yeah, I've got, you know, some topics lined up. The next, the next uh, sort of half dozen bunch coming up after, I'm, after the next one is, uh, is going to be the 90s strike back. <laughs> and um, I, I, I'm running a poll on uh, the Saucer Live Twitter account where I have some topics and you know asking people to vote because they're all things I'm going to do, but I'm interested in which one people want to hear first, and I'll, whichever one that is, I'll do. And Bill Cooper is far and away beating um, the first season of the X Files and uh, 1997 and the birth of Exopolitics, um, which I mean I don't know maybe subconsciously I. I sort of rigged it, so why wouldn't you choose Bill Cooper? Yeah, out of out of that bunch of topics. But my yeah, wife yeah. really, my wife really wants the X Files episode, and she's like, "Why did you leave it up to a poll?" So, well, you can you can go ahead and do that one too. That's fine. It. You know, it, it, but yeah, yeah. But the what um, about the yeah. Area Fifty One people and the uh, the Billy Goodman show that got the Area yeah. 50, Fifty Fifty One thing going? Somebody just posted on one of our uh, forums there a article from 1991, I think, about what was going on at Area 51. And I had been out there like in 93, 4, and there was um, stuff in there about Sean Morton going out there. Um, Norio Hayakawa was out there. He talked to him. This guy named Gary Schultz, who nobody knows about anymore. I used to go to meetings at that guy's house. And there was this strange combination of of right-wing politics, um, Christian ideology, and conspiracy and UFO stuff all going on at this guy's house apartment in Santa Monica, Gary Schultz. There was a meeting there, and Eric uh, Beckyord came one oh, time. Oh, wow. And what wow. Eric did was, uh, after the meeting broke up, he said, Gary, I really want to show you this important stuff, because he had all kinds of video and pictures and stuff. And he showed him all these, you know, I said, can I stay in and watch? And they're like, yeah, sure, we don't care. So... I sat down and watched all these UFO videos, uh, you know, fuzzy UFO videos with um, Beck Yord and uh, Gary Schultz. And um, the one thing I remember from that was that, uh, well, besides Eric stole my car keys. I don't know why he did that. 
He did. He took my car keys and he somehow put them in his bag and then left and went back to his house in Malibu and I couldn't find my keys. And I was like, what the? So I called him up and he goes, oh, yeah, I got your keys. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, well, could you bring them back? I can't get in my car. I'm not coming back there. Well, how the hell am I supposed to get my keys? Well, you got to come up and get them. How do I come up and get them without my car? Well, that's not my problem. Wow. And he hung up. Wow. Yeah, that that guy was weird. That, that, yeah, uh, he, he was. I, I could have not. hated him for it, but um, actually found a friend of mine who was at a bar, drunk out of his mind, and the guy drove me up there. Dr he wouldn't let me drive his car, so I'm sitting oh. there in the car at night, driving with this guy drunk up to get my keys at Eric Beckyard's mailbox. Oh my gosh! And That's... yeah, and then he drove me all the way back, drunk, barely walking, drunk. I'm surprised I'm talking to you. I probably died in another. Uh, uh, times time uh, frame but yeah that 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 whole you know that whole weird late 80s early 90s time was very hmm it, what's the word it was there was a lot of foment and ferment going on then yeah i'm not surprised that it um that it that it bubbled over in the in, into the 90s and it kept going but it, it it's weird i uh the episode that dropped Today, that dropped because you know that's what we say in the, the podcast business the, the episode dropped yes um it's um i basically go back and, and and look at some some interesting stuff off the old paranet bbs and alt alien visitors and oh Internet i just saw yeah i just that saw that thing. yeah that you posted and, about that um the there, there, there's one great one the the interview with a th anonymous three-star general that don ecker posted and then Don Ecker's long sort of explanation about why he just sort of posted this crap that nobody would believe. Well, we need to look at all the information. It's like, yeah, sure you do. But, um, but there, there's that and, um, the, uh, Lear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um, <laughs> expose that, uh, Lars Hansen wrote. It was like 38 separate text files. Cause it's just like a whole book. Cause he was like living on John Lear's couch for a while in vegas and it, yeah weird stuff um he stops just short of suggesting that 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 lear was you know doing coke all the time but um <laughs> he doesn't say that he said he might have been referring he might have referred to some other kinds of lines he was doing but uh, <laughs> something <laughs> like that but there's all this stuff that happens in in you know from 87 or so uh, well basically from the mj12 documents and then that through like um, Bill Moore's speech yeah. at MUFON in 89. Yeah, I think and that then, was like a kick off a lot of this stuff. It was like end yeah. of one thing and beginning of another, actually. Yep. It was the end of everybody thinking, oh my gosh, something is really about to break loose, and the beginning of the endless reiteration and commercialization of it. So yeah. Yeah. I just sort of get the impression that, that up until the time when Moore says, look, there's a lot of stuff going on that you don't know about and you're being had and you're falling for it. And then everybody's like, how dare he? Anyway, MJ 12, it's real, right? And then <laughs> it just keeps going and going and going. And that's also around the same time that, that Cooper makes his, uh, I was going to say, you know, name, move, his, his name, his move. He makes his move from being this, this sort of guy on the BBSs who's saying stuff that people aren't sure they believe to being, you know, big, angry, loudmouth Bill Cooper, and then he transfigures into I never believed in this stuff anyway, you know, and and moves into the militia stuff once it's clear that he 
you know, appropriated a lot of stuff and, and misrepresented stuff and, and probably wasn't, well, absolutely wasn't many of the things he said he was. You know, then he, he transitions to, well, for a while I believed this, but, you know, I didn't believe most of it. And, and he, little by little, he, he backs away from the UFO thing and, and says it's all a scam and it's going to be how they usher in the new world order. And he's talking about Project Bluebeam. <laughs> how strange like that, that that's all coming back again now. Yes. Yes. Um, there are, there are so many. Meaning not strange. Yeah. So many. So the cycle has worked its way back around. And um, yeah, I. I don't know what exactly is going on with with all of the stuff that's that's coming out that's being disclosed or confirmed or whatever supposedly, but um, it's all just goofy and shady. And <laughs> you know, it, it, it's yeah, it'll be fun once this all shakes out and everybody who thinks they're part of the thing finds out they're actually the thing they thought they were a part of doesn't actually exist. <laughs> it was actually yeah, I've never s- they were running for a separate thing. Yeah, I've never thought about it in that way. Well, I I have, but I haven't voiced it. But yeah, I I kind of agree with you. It's like getting to this point, and I'm loath to talk about this stuff on the air. But um, it seems like it's getting to a point where uh, you buy in or you don't, and there's an agenda because there always is when somebody yep. holds the cards and you don't. And you may think you have a great hand or they don't have or, you know, they have a good hand or whatever. But they're I think in a lot of ways they're bluffing into, you know, whatever whatever jackpot's coming up for them. You may not even know what it is later. You right. know, it's like, OK, this is all the stuff in it. And then suddenly that I've got this strange feeling that they're going to stop at some point and just drop it. Everybody's going to be going, what, what, where, where? And the people that were sort of connected with it will pick up on it and say, well, this is what it was really about. And, right. You know, yep. and then the people that are actually doing this, the people running these um, programs, will just go, you know, fade back into the woodwork and not talk to anybody anymore. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder if part of it is an attempt to find out what, if there's anything out there that people know that they shouldn't know. And when you say, well, we're uncovering this and we're publicly talking about this, people might come out and say, well, you know what? I thought that this was going on because blah, blah, blah. Yes. And yes. if they weren't supposed to know that, then they can sort of trace back, you know, how the information flowed yeah. out. I also. Did you read Project say- Beta or something? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. And I didn't not thinking that is exactly in the place where I'd be thinking. But I haven't actually said that yet. And you put it together, which is great. It's like, yeah, that's a part of it, too. Let's find out who's interested in what they're saying. To be fair, I assume everything is something like that nowadays. Yeah. But, um, I but do, also, too. or Well, I try not it, to, but I do. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to, to, get out of the, to get out of that, that mindset because yeah. when I started, I can't remember who I was talking to. I, I think I can't remember. Who, I might have been just talking to myself, actually. Um, <laughs> But, Don't worry, I do uh, that all day. <laughs> I might, I actually might have been like dry running some podcast stuff, like while I was driving or something. Yeah. Um, but I think that part of it, I mean, part of it might be that that I really like Project Beta and Mirage Men, and that I thought those were two really great explorations of this. But I also think what it was is that I sort of heavily entered looking into this field 
right around 1994, 1995, when it became clear that, you know, Moore's talk at MUFON was about five years old at that point. So it was it had just sort of penetrated the consciousness that government disinformation is a part of this. And these things are examples of how that worked. Um, right. And so like the first things I read were things I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is true. Then I read, read more stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, that's absolutely not true. And, you know, there might have been people in positions of authority wanting other people to think that was true. And so that was sort of the first thing first sort of thing I, I came across. Um, but, uh, but I also think, and, and I'm mostly making this up, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think that this is all some sort of viral marketing thing, but what I think might happen is that as a way to distract people from, you know, it, when they want it to go away, like you said, it could turn into a viral marketing thing and sort of be retconned into it was always a viral marketing thing, even though it started out as actual information. Yeah. Um, you know, pay somebody to or influence a movie being made that's about these topics and then say, oh, well, this was all just to promote, you know, the the new Tom DeLonge Secret Machines miniseries on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, we'll um, see that. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. I mean, let's let's be honest, everybody, listeners. This is way more interesting a thing for the field to be talking about than Project Serpo was 10 years ago. Oh, much more. Yeah. Yeah. It goes so way this past is that. yeah, this is I mean, there was a real sort of drought of interesting stuff for about five, six years there in the, the early 21st century when, when disclosure was becoming the big thing. And, and the big news was the, uh, the fake congressional hearing thing that they were doing. And, yeah. Then we would have begged for something like this to be going on. Yeah. Uh, now one, I guess, I guess we're jaded. Yeah, I certainly am. One of the listeners, Jeff said, what general that Mr. Ecker called a reliable source is Mr. Gullius disputing. Um, it, he didn't have a name. Uh, he was just, an anonymous three-star general. Um, so, so he never had a name, and he said basically that uh, that he called in all his favors to find out that everything in Moore and um, Moore's Roswell book was true, and that um, the aliens did have deals with the U.S. and there were cattle mutilations and human abductions, but it was not for invasion purposes it was just scientific research unfortunately some people did die due to mishaps but um ufo witnesses had been killed and intimidated and uh, that's why he retired is because he didn't think the american people should be killed or intimidated for talking about ufos but there was no actual name he was an anonymous three-star general talking to an anonymous supposed active service colonel Codenamed, was pseudonymously called Bill, because of course, because it's the '90s, everybody. Yeah, everybody Bill. was Bill. Yes. Um, so it was. There was no real. Um, there was no real, real source there. But it would. It's one of these files that would get. Uh, that would get circulated around quite a bit. I think 1990 is when uh, is when it first came out. It was on uh, the old Paranet board i remember paranet i remember hearing about area 51 on paranet very early on um in addition to the art bell stuff and all that i don't think i even heard art bell till about 91 or 92 something like that i think it was oh, before wow. before excluded middle started 
um, I was in a car with Robert Larson, one of the co-founders, driving from San Francisco back to L.A., and we heard Bill, another Bill, Hamilton oh, on, yeah. the, on the radio. And he and we were, like, we were thinking, this is right up our alley. What the hell is this? And we found out it was Art Bell, so I became a huge fan uh, for a while. Yeah, and and that's that's like early Art Bell when the the UFO stuff was was sort of one of the many topics he would cover. Um, you, you go out on the internet, you find like Art Bell from like ninety two and ninety three, and even into ninety four, and it's mostly sort of standard late night talk radio stuff. And occasionally there would be you know a UFO guest because Art had an interest in that. And then okay, maybe it was ninety four or something. Maybe it was a little okay. later. For some reason, I thought it was before we started the magazine because we started the magazine in like December of ninety one, I think. Well, he was he was doing that that stuff then. Um, just it was less. It wasn't the the focus of the show, from from what I recall. Right, right. It kind of organically turned into it, and I guess yeah. um, partially as a result of. Uh, Lear and Knapp and, and, and that whole group and Billy Goodman and all that bringing Area 51 into the consciousness that since he was in that area too and broadcasting and knew these people and it was a conspiratorial thing, it just organically became part of the show. Somebody uh, online mentioned that uh, Heather Wade from um, Midnight in the Desert was going to go sneak into Area oh, 51, yeah. and it completely reminded me of my favorite Art Bell episode, or one of them, <laughs> where that guy was in an airplane. I think it was supposed to be a very ease, or very easy, a Burt Rutan airplane, the one with the little canard in the front, home-built oh, yeah. airplane. He, he's got this like southern voice. He's like, I'm going to fly in here in Area 51. I'm going to find out what's going on. I don't care what they say. Sir, you shouldn't do that. They're going to shoot you down. Well, I don't care. We're Americans and we should know this kind of stuff. I'm getting pretty close. Oh, there's some lights coming out. Oh, wow. It just went right over me. Sir, you probably should turn around. It was great. Yeah. It was great radio. I think it was, I'm 99.9% I'm .9 sure it's a, it was a big fat lie, but it was such a fun, fun episode and funny. Yeah. That um the the Area Fifty One call in show where it's like there's like there was like a dedicated Area Fifty One line if you had information about Area Fifty One and I, I always remember it was September eleventh nineteen ninety seven is is the uh, the and that's the one where the the guy like the one guy calls like from a payphone or something and he's all out of breath and he's panicky and he he just needs to get this information out and there's sort of like this weird noise. And then it goes out, and then you hear a, 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 like a, a yell or a scream, and they're static. And then, um, and then they cut to like an old episode where Art's interviewing Mark Furman or something. <laughs> and then eventually, Art comes back and says, "We the, the the network had to go to a backup tape because, and you may not believe this, but it's true, our satellite lost Earthlock." I think someone didn't want us to hear that call. Wow. I hope that gentleman is okay. <laughs> you know, this is why I say that every time it comes up, and people, I, I notice this too on the uh, Coast to Coast forums, that people are always like, bring Art Bell back, bring Art Bell back. But it's just something that's not going to happen. It's like saying, get, no. get, it was like saying, make the Beatles reform. There's a certain reason why they didn't reform. It's because they can't match up to what used to be going on. They just no. said, look, everything we do would be measured against what we did before, and we can't do that anymore. And I think that's partly what's going on with art, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no way to – there's not enough people listening for whom this stuff is so new and so strange that mm, it would have yeah. the same impact. 
That too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and You're so right. there was always, I mean, this is something that, that sounds like something, you know, Tim Benall would say, but <laughs> the Art Bell in the 90s was like paranormal pro wrestling. It, yeah. You, you, it was, he played it serious, but you knew, you knew you were being worked and you didn't care. Yeah, you know, well, I think a lot of people didn't think they were being worked. And in fact, at the point where I was listening to it in the 90s, I didn't know that. I was just all into it. I kept thinking I was going to get uh, uh, abducted after reading um, uh, reading the abduction books, after reading uh, uh, Bud Hopkins' book and, and Whitley Strieber and all that. I was totally into it. I was an innocent, dumb kid, and I loved it. I remember reading... Um Oh, what was it? I think it was... Um, I'm still kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, Howard Blum's Out There. Yeah, yeah. And I, I read that when it was when it was first out and I was in high school. And I, I remember reading that. And if I, could, if I remember right, his conclusion was sort of the, the government isn't covering up anything because the government doesn't know what's going on. Well, it was, was that sort of angle. Mm-hmm. And MJ-12 probably isn't real. But... Um, I think was also part of it. But I remember reading that and, you know, sort of thinking that I would be more, I wouldn't feel as weird about it if I knew it was a government cover up because then somebody in authority would know what was going on for better or for worse. But this idea that the, that the story and the cover up is just to distract us from the fact that nobody knows what the hell's going on. That was kind of unsettling. I was like, that's, so actually what, what weirded me out with, with UFO stuff more than anything else, and it's nothing I read, but I remember I was talking to my sister and she told me that when she was a kid, she, when she was about like, oh gosh, probably like four years old, she had, she remembers being awake and looking out her window and seeing a gray. And this would have been in like 1982 when a four-year-old wouldn't have known what a gray is. And she said she really remembers that vividly. And like, and she's not somebody who would just make something like that up because mm-hmm. you'd think it's stupid to make something up. Why would you yeah. waste your time making something up? But um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that always sort of unsettled me. And all I could think was, I'm really glad I didn't see that because it would have really freaked me out. Um, I do remember my having a dream about Jimmy Carter meeting moon leprechauns. Um, what? I went out. It's like the first dream I remember is Jimmy Carter, who was president at the time, went to the moon and met the moon leprechauns. And I maybe, uh, maybe that maybe I should just turn that into some yes. sort of weird conspiracy theory about yeah. Carter funding a moon base. Yeah, well, um, there it sounds like something out of um, who was it? Uh, Peter Beater, Doctor Peter oh, Beater Peter talked Beter. about. <laughs> he said that Carter had been replaced with a robotoid, and it robotoid. wasn't the real yeah, robotoid. He, well, Organic robotoid. And he wasn't the real Carter, and that uh, they had lost the Battle of the Harvest Moon when they. It's, <laughs> it's, the you best. can, yeah, you can hear this stuff online. Just uh, look up Peter Peter, B E T E R. I wrote a, I wrote a column about uh, that one time, and I said, you, you think he would have said, you know, P David Beater or something? <laughs> no, it was Peter Beater. Hello, folks, this is Dr. Beater. Yeah, PeterDavidBeater.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has, um, it not only has every um, every audio file. Yeah, because he sent has, these tapes out to people. Yep, audio letters. It also has, um, has them in low quality and high quality MP3, 
and a transcript. Oh my god! I there are they had transcripts. <laughs> there are eighty-two of these letters. Yes, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's also eight audiobooks and eight special tapes, and there's a Sherman Skolnick special tape. Looks like really? an interview between Beater and Sherman Skolnick. Wow. That's like that's like a that's like a super concert, you know. It's like yes. it, yeah, you know, it's it, it's like the All Star Game or something. Now I've got to yeah. hear that. I didn't know about that. See, this is why I have people on like Aaron because he delves into these weirdnesses <laughs> that I, you know, I think I'm I'm I I'm good at all this weirdness and I'm into it. But the, you find out there's people that are far more versed in this stuff and are better scholars. And Aaron's one. I never introduced Aaron because you know why? Because <laughs> we're just having such fun talking. I'm just going to read your um, uh, Amazon thing. Uh, Aaron okay. is a teacher, writer, and historian whose books have ranged from historical studies and conspiracy, conspiracy culture to guides for using film in the history classroom. He would love to bore you with stories of strange alien contacts that involve pancakes and funny hats. You wrote this, didn't you? Yes. He is the host of Saucer Life, a weekly podcast covering UFO history at saucerlife.com and um, author of how many books? One, two, three, four, five. Five. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Really? Uh, you, you don't count the um, science fiction one? Teaching science fiction yes. in the classroom? Or oh, no. The, the Doctor Who fan. Doctor Who yeah, fan I, guy. I, I don't. That was mostly an experiment at uh, using the Create Space thing. Oh, okay. Uh, with some stuff, but people, a few people bought it, and my sister had a friend who bought it, and and she, my sister brought this book at Christmas so I could autograph it for her friend, and I was so <laughs> embarrassed. Um, I, I think I think the autograph said, "So you're the one who bought." It. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but yeah, five 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 books that other people have thought deserve to be in print is how I, I sort of think of it um, that other people said yes yes this should be a book so it, does it amaze it sounds like it amazes you when somebody says yes this should be a book I wouldn't read it um, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny the reason I write something is because I write something that I would read I I write like if it things. bores me or I don't want to read it, then why should I write it? But when I write something, I go, yeah, I'd read that. You know, it's not I, where I'm thinking it's the best thing ever. I'm just like, well, that's some cool stuff. Sure, yeah. I write things. I've written things that interest me enough that I want to have a reason to look at them more deeply, other yeah. than just looking at it. Yeah, so that's and, the other to reason have, to have a reason to. So for the um, the. Um, conspiracy theory and paranormal science fiction TV book. Um, that was mostly like, you know what? I've never, I, I love reading like studies of TV about TV shows and the production of TV shows and, and all that stuff. Cause I'm a huge like doctor who fan and I, I just love that stuff. And I've never, it was like, here's a chance to write about television and to, you know, you know, this episode and these themes and, and connects to connected to the current events in this way. It's like, Oh, I always wanted to write a book like that. And, and there's this series this publisher has. And, and I wonder if the editor would do this. And the editor was like, that sounds like a good one. So, um, so that was fun. And, and I got to write a whole bunch of DVDs off on my taxes. So <laughs> I, although I think, think that i've made more money from my tax deductions from that book than the actual book because it's um it's like 80 bucks or something um because it's designed for libraries to buy not for humans to buy so 
it's that's the only thing that's frustrating about that one. I, it's it's a it's a I think it's a good book that nobody's going to read because it, it just <laughs> it's so you, you can't find it. I think I think the Kindle copy is like seventy nine dollars and ninety nine cents or something, so it's a penny cheaper. Um, yeah, I'm surprised but, uh, it's in. Don't you have to make, put it into a Kindle format, or does it just do that? Um, I th- well, I had the, to put mine in a format. Well, the publisher did it, so I. I don't know. I uh, the, the only input I had over anything was um, they asked me for preferences for the photo. And I was like, can you please just find an X-Files photo? Well, I don't know if we can afford an X-Files photo. It's like, oh, come on. It's like, so I, I think it was going to be between X-Files or uh, Nowhere Man with uh, that guy who was in Nowhere Man. Um, Greenwood? Some guy. Uh, nobody remembers the show Nowhere Man, do they? I do. I love that show. Okay, good. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, the the scene where he, he, you know, there's this assassination he's been trying to uncover, and then he finds, like, the set where they took the pictures to fake the assassination or something. Yeah, I I actually watched that show because I had to because I was doing audio work on it uh, in post-production, and I watched every episode of the show, and I actually enjoyed it. And the problem with enjoying the shows when you're working on them uh, you know, working on the audio is you get involved in working on, you know, in the show and you forget that you were supposed to be doing some work on it and you weren't listening closely <laughs> enough. So I'd have to go back, you know, through large sections and rewatch them and redo them because I wasn't paying attention because I was so engrossed in the show. And the, the paranoia in that show was the closest to the kind of paranoia I felt when um, that Mike Younger stuff was going on. Uh, oh, and yeah. that's why I really enjoyed it. There's one scene where he actually goes into a theater and there's a and he can't see this guy and he basically just tells him, "Look, you know, you're you're never going to find out. You're going to have to just be paranoid and find out what you're going to find out. We know that you're looking. We know what you know, and um, maybe you'll find out eventually. But you're going to have the crap scared out of you many times, and you might die. So you know, fine. That that's what I remember as uh, from that scene, which is why I liked wow. it so much. It was a great show, and um, there, there's so many good shows from that time period that just didn't get enough of a chance, um, and and some that got more chances than they should have. Dark Skies is one that I, I would have strangled in the cradle several episodes earlier, but um, <laughs> I, I remember watching it back in 97, and they, they got to the episode with where, where everything gets sort of weird. It's not just this, like, clean cut 60s couple in over their heads you know with the with the, the secret government and you know he you know he's hanging out with hippies and the, it turns out that the like you shouldn't take the brown acid because it's it's an alien disease or something like that um it's almost but, sound, starting uh, to sound burrows type stuff. It, it did sort of get like that but it, it didn't do a very good job of it it's <laughs> sort of my opinion but you know a lot of shows like nowhere man i mean today could do a show like Nowhere Man and you know put it on Netflix. Yeah. And yeah. it would it would just be one of these critically acclaimed shows that really gets the political climate of the time and and um it I think I think Nowhere Man was too much of its time or it was of its time in the wrong way. Um alien paranoia? Yeah, you could sell that and people would be like, "Oh yeah, it's, it's like the X-Files." Yeah, this was um, pure but, political paranoia. Yep, and so that was that was, I think, I think maybe just a little too uncomfortable. It was some of the stuff it talked about with the political assassination angles. and it, This is a little too real. Um, it's a little too real for 
for the late nineties. I, I think it's the sort of thing that you could have done it in the seventies and it would have done a lot better. I, I think people would have been more accepting of it, but by the nineties, you know, a generation passes after Watergate and the church committee and, and all those things, all mm-hmm. those revelations and all that suspicion and, and, and people sort of got around to trusting the government again. Um, huge mistake. Uh, yeah. But, um, I don't know it, how that that show got made. I don't know how it got the green light and I don't know how it yeah. got, I think it was on for at least a couple of seasons. It was on for one season. Oh, was it really? Only uh, one? Okay. Just one, I think it was like 23 episodes yeah. or something like that. Um, it was, I, yeah, it was one of those things where it, it doesn't make sense that it, that it made it to the air because it's one of those shows that would cause people to look, cause some people to look more deeply at those topics. And yeah. I can't, if there is, if there is a secret arm of the government suppressing the media for information it doesn't want to get out, then this show shouldn't have made it. On the other hand, this show shouldn't have made it because it was such a narrow, obscure topic. I can't yes. imagine that the demographic people at the network would have said, yes, this political paranoia is what we want on what was it Saturday night, yeah, Saturday primetime on NBC. I think it was. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't even know how they sold it, except for they probably sold it with a premise that was different than what we got out of it. Yeah, probably they probably sold it. It's like the X Files, but with fewer aliens. And network guys said, "Hey, X Files is pretty hot right now. Go." And then <laughs> you know, it, it's somebody saw it's like what? And it was, you know, it was it was Saturday night prime time, and that is uh, that is just not. It's not a good time slot for that because the, the audience who would watch it is not at home watching TV. Um, it, it's uh, Bruce Greenwood. That's the guy's name. Bruce Greenwood was. Oh, the, OK. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The actor. Yeah. Right. I'll, the closest I could get was he played Captain Pike in the Star Trek reboot movie. <laughs> um, oh, did he? Was, <laughs> yep. Yeah, he was 25 episodes. Yeah, 25 episodes. So, um yeah, it, it's referenced in um, – I'm looking at IMDb – Connections, referenced in Nowhere Man, Fact or Fiction, True Stories of CIA Mind Control Technique, 2005. A, um, an ex-CIA operative reveals real-world government conspiracies, mind control techniques, and how fragile our identity really is. Oh, great. Uh, so somebody took this show and made a weird documentary. Uh, oh, it's it's actually on the – dvd set for nowhere man which i don't know if you can actually get anymore no you um, probably have to find it on like you know facebook i'm mean, sorry on uh, ebay or something yeah but if anybody out there has not seen nowhere man you need to watch it um it is it is just it's good it's it's good television it's good drama it's interesting parapolitics um oh good grief the dvd set there's one in stock it is 249 dollars Great. Some there's one guy selling it for there's a guy selling it for two hundred forty nine. You can get a used one for seventy three ninety nine. So clearly, this is the government manipulating the used DVD market to keep this information out of the people's hands. Yeah, or uh, we could do what uh, let's 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 get everybody in, um, who's listening to Roddy Mysterioso right now to band together and just put in ten five or ten bucks or something <laughs> like that. That's what I was. Strangely enough. Weirdly enough, I was kind of casting around when uh, To the Stars first came out and said there was a $200 buy-in to for uh-huh. the uh, – I was going to get like 10 of us together, 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 of us together, and just put in like 10 or 20 bucks a piece. 
Oh, yeah. And then just take all the info that they were sending to us and just distribute it amongst us all just to see what they were doing and what they were saying. But they're, as far as I know, they've been pretty open about what they were doing. You don't really need to be a, a member to get some of this info because I haven't seen it was like, you know what the, you know what they just said right now? It's like they, they don't, they don't make a distinction between the general public and people that so far right. that I can tell that have, um, uh, bought in for the $200 for their, uh, to invest in their, um, yeah. IPO or whatever you call it. And, and they'd have to know that, that there's no way that that information would not be out in the public domain in about three and a half seconds. After yeah, exactly. It, I think they realize so, that. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I, I thought that aspect of it was particularly silly. Um, you know, you know, there, there's going to be stuff that, that you'll find out first. It's like, find out first by how much. You know, by the time I get back to my email after work, it's going to be everywhere. So why yeah. am I? Yeah. So, so in the end, what you're paying for is is you're paying because you believe in what they're doing. And yes, exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> not spending money for that. Um, yeah, I. You know what? If I could have, if I could have thrown down twenty bucks and you know gotten a, yeah. But the thing is, I don't know if they issue a little certificate or anything. They probably don't. But just to have something that says, you know, Greg Bishop has bought two, you know, two hundred shares of stock in TTS, AAS, and and uh, in perpetuity, and blah 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 blah. Yeah, I don't know what a stock share sure. certificate looks like because I don't have any. But yeah, well, I have stocks, but I've never gotten a certificate. So yeah, I, I do too through a four hundred one k. But you know, <laughs> yeah, all, all my not, yeah, it's like my retirement my, my retirement index funds don't issue me cool looking nineteenth century old timey certificates that I can. What would be nice is, is if I were, you know, I think I saw this like in, in an old movie or something, but a guy was down on his luck and he actually like goes to the bank and he starts paying off his debts with these stock certificates. It's like, that would be so cool to <laughs> just like go to Walmart and I'm like, well, I've got. I've got a share of Facebook. How much cereal will this buy me? <laughs> or something like that. So yeah, old-fashioned Bitcoin be, kind of. Who knows? Yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I bought my uh, my brother in law was was getting into Bitcoin, so I I'm learning about it, and so I, I bought him a Bitcoin that I bought off Amazon for Christmas. Um, he, he found it very amusing. <laughs> so like this, like like like. So he just sits on this one Bitcoin, or like I, I, I guess a a fraction of one, because they're like what twelve thousand dollars for one Bitcoin or um, something. Now? It's like down under ten thousand. I, I I did a little bit because um, it cranked up to over twenty or something. Then yeah, dropped. It, it dropped like a couple months ago or three or four it months got ago. Got really close to twenty, and um, I, I was I was talking to to my brother-in-law. He's like, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting to learn about because he's like a, a computer guy. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this, this looks interesting. So I, I, I bought a little bit and like swapped it between all of these like weird fakey ones that keep popping up. And, and somehow I ended up doubling my money and I was like, yeah, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to like take this and go buy beer. Cause I, when I say I doubled my money, I doubled the $25 worth of Bitcoin that I, that <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> initially bought. And then once it started going up, I was like, I should have put more money into this. Yeah. But and um, then, yeah. And once you do that, then you, you know, then you're kind of lost. Yep. Because, because you just keep it, doing the same for the same reason we were at uh, um, a, a giant uh, what's it called uh, uh, anyway we're you know they've got every they've got a fishing they've got a fishing creek in the store I mean oh, that's yeah, how big yeah. the store is. anyway Bass Pro, um, Shop, Bass Pro Shop that's it yeah Bass Pro yeah we we're in the Bass Bass Pro Shop and, and it was right after I lost my last job and I and we were looking around and I was like God damn they have gold panning stuff here what a weird thing to have in in the store but I guess it makes sense. I showed my wife. I said, "Look, they got gold panning stuff." She said, "Oh no, 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 no! You're not buying any gold panning." It's like, 
I wasn't even thinking of buying, but she was so scared that I'd get the gold fever because I had, to, you know, I just lost my job. So same thing, with, same thing with stocks and Bitcoin and stuff like that. You know, I, 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 I'm not a gambling person. And it kind of scares me a little bit. I guess it shouldn't because people, but then, you know, it's like I look at it as a pyramid scheme. If you get in early, yeah, you're going to clean up. But if you don't, you're basically getting used by everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it, it's, I, I sort of treated it like, um, like when I, years ago when I, I, I had some money, I was like, Oh, Ooh, pharmaceutical penny stocks. You know, this, this is like a good way <laughs> to, to get rich. And I've messed around with that. And it's like, this is basically just, you know, it's a slot machine. You know, it, it's, you know, at a, at a certain level, it's, you know, high volatility stuff like that is, is gambling. But yeah. what it did was it, it, it sort of scratched that, that sort of compulsive, you know, itch that I had and, and you know, that I'm, Ooh, I made money. Oh, it's all gone. <laughs> Just like that. And then I, I, as with everything, I get bored with it really quick and, um, yeah. and, you know, move, move on to something else. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's really interesting that the Bitcoin stuff and the connections between Bitcoin and, uh, and the ideologies behind it, uh, sort of this, uh, this, this anarcho capitalist, yeah. ethos that goes along with it and uh you know it's not too far from you know ooh, bitcoin's an interesting technology to you know your weird sort of end the fed memes on reddit uh so you know yeah. it's well it's the, the intersection of the stuff with ideology is is what interests me more yeah. than anything yeah i get well you get to the point that it's it seems like who, which fake system of uh, finance is going to win out? And it's probably the one that yeah. has more money right now and more invested in actual things and 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 uh, goods and places and all that. Yep. And not in in cryptocurrency. But you know, who knows? Maybe we might be taken over by cryptocurrency and enough people get into it. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm an old. I guess I'm too old to think that this is a wonderful thing and it's going to change everything. It's like I'm kind of like sit back and watch. I, I think. It will. What will happen is is a different group of people will control most of the wealth. Um, oh yeah, or they will like, co- they will co opt the the uh, cryptocurrency. The people that have the wealth right. now will co opt it anyway. I think they're already trying to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, suddenly you start seeing the word blockchain everywhere. You yeah. Know, like IBM has a blockchain now or something. Yeah, I, I heard so, it last year sometime. Listening, unfortunately, coast to coast, which means it's probably been around for, you know, five years before that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm surprised there's been, um, there's been no UFO-themed blockchain or token or crypto, UFO-themed cryptocurrency. There is. There's an, there is now. Oh, there it is. just started. Oh, man. I've missed it. Shoot. Yeah, I know. I, I wanted it. to get in on the ground floor of that one, too. Two or three people told me about it. It's like, oh! So I'm actually, I think maybe oh. I'll just go talk to one of the guys that started it. I, I, know, I know one of the people that started it, and maybe I could just throw my hat in there and see what happens. The only problem is when you're on that, you have to start selling yourself and producing content. If, can I hook my show into it? I kind of don't know if I want to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Already. I know. I'm being that probably, it's April first. Uh, yes, I should probably uh write my talk. Um uh, actually, I should too. <laughs> yeah, I was I'm I'm giving a talk 
at my college, the library is doing a, a thing for National Library Week or National Book Week or something, and I'm I'm doing a, a talk next week, and I'm like, you know what? I think I think I could sort of use this as sort of a rough draft for what I'm going to talk about in Halifax. So I'm going to sort of mess around with it. Right now, I just have a, a sort of page of of scrawled phrases with lines connecting them and arrows and things. <laughs> no, I don't even have that. Uh, if people don't know what we're talking about, um, Paul Kimball, through his Winterlight Productions production company, is putting on something called Esotericon in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, Saturday, May 19th, Sunday, May 20th. Let's see, Aaron, is, is he's got your name first. You're headlining. I, I know. That's weird. Yeah. And Stan Friedman's going to there. Stan Friedman. Yeah, it's going to be one of his last talks. I think his last talk might be in Roswell in July uh, of oh. this year. Because I think he's going to appear in Roswell. Because he appears every year. So there's no way he wouldn't appear this year. Right. Yeah. So um, Micah Hanks will be speaking. Ryan Sprague. Walter Bosley. Tim Benal. Uh, uh, Paul, of course. Holly Stevens, who is his co-host on Haunted. And uh, me. And it's two days. And I've... Unless something has changed, I think it's free. Yes. Which is insane. That is insane. <laughs> it's, it, it, yes, it is. I, I mean, maybe literally insane. <laughs> um, so, but I, I, I can't imagine Paul would, would do something like this and, and not have a plan. So. Oh, no, he, he definitely has a plan. I, I do not know what it is. Some of it might be swag. But it's not going to make it back on swag. Maybe we're a write-off. I have no idea. But it's. I, uh, I assume it's all being funded by the Socialist Government of Canada in, yeah. in some roundabout way. So. Yeah, and Stan is going to speak. I'm looking at the uh, schedule right now. I, my my talk is called TBD. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I think mine is too. Yeah. yeah, we're both speaking on the same different aspect aspects of TBD. Um, Stanton it's, T. It's an amazing topic. Yeah, St- Stanton T. Friedman. Flying saucers are real, which is I think the the uh, talk he started out with. Yep. in the 1960s. Yeah, that's sort of the the classic uh, the classic thing because I, I love that he, he he was saying flying saucers after it was really not fashionable mm-hmm. to say flying saucers, you know, because we were firmly in UFOs by the 60s in a lot of ways. So that's cool. I interviewed Stan for the first time ever at the International UFO Congress last month. Uh, we talked for about an hour, and now and then. About two weeks after that, he announced he was retiring. So everybody's having him on now, and I haven't posted the, posted our conversation yet. When I talked to him, he hadn't announced that. Oh, so he was right on the cusp of it. Yeah, and I didn't even know. You know nobody knew. So I just sat, sat down and talked with him for about an hour, trying to get to him to talk about everything else but UFOs, which, as it turns out, everybody's trying to do that now, too. It's like, well, then I guess I can't. doesn't really matter whether I post a damn thing or not. I also oh, talked yeah. to Kathleen Marden who is, is basically his writing partner at this point. And we had a nice conversation. And it's funny because I noticed in, in Stan's conversation, I'm trying to pull him off of UFOs, and he keeps pulling it right back to that. And in um, <laughs> Kathleen Marden's, uh, uh, when I talk to her, I'm trying to pull her off the ETH, and she keeps pulling me right back towards it. So it was fun. There's a little dynamic going on. This is all because um, uh, Josh Cutchin said, I said, do you have any... You know, what do you have any suggestions for for the show? And he said, "Well, it's a little bit of an echo chamber." It's like, okay, that really stuck with me. So I've been I consciously have talked to people that are researchers that are pretty much dyed in the wool ETHers, or that's their favorite thing, and kind of gently suggest to them that maybe it's not everything, and they gently suggest to me what you know one 
uh, do you have a better explanation? And two, you haven't been in the field talking to these people. I was like, well, that's not the point. The point is your your model you're coming from, not not whether you talk to somebody. Right. You, that's how you're going to talk to them. But that you know what they say, Rosemary Allen Guiley, who I actually interviewed, and, and Preston Dennett, they're both saying, look. It's the best model we have now. It's the one that seems to fit the data that we find, and that's why we use it. And my answer is, what if you tried to stop fitting it into the data? What if you tried to stop fitting the data into that idea? What would happen? How do we have a model of extraterrestrial life when we don't know what extraterrestrial life would be like? Yes. How do we know what the data would suggest? Yeah, that's a great uh, talking point. I mean, it is. uh, I'm I'm tired of trying to get people not to – to to explain to people that I'm not interested in it because it's the least exciting explanation to me at this point and a few of my friends. Uh, and it's not off the table. It, it's definitely yeah. not off the table. But, you know, it, it's the, – the explanation when I mention this to people, you know, they say, well, what else could it be? It's like, well, uh, that's not – that's not an explanation. Well, it, I, I think it could be this because it couldn't be anything else. Well, why not? Well, other stuff's dumb. You know, like fairies, whatever. It's aliens. <laughs> you know, those are both those are both equivalently difficult to accept, you know, so for the general public. But aliens are from space and space is modern and space is shiny and space is technology driven, so it must be space and fairies yeah. are old and weird. So it can't be that. It's like, well, it could be both and they could it could be the same thing and neither of them are aliens or fairies. Yeah. Um, but these are just, you know, ways we contextualize them. Or yeah. Whatever. Well, um, hence the co-creation thing. How, how far, yeah. how far do, you know, how far ahead of our mind do our minds have to be ahead of whatever we're experiencing to create a model that, you know, it, and it's always creating models. So the, the very important thing is I'm seeing articles everywhere now about consciousness creating reality. Serious articles by serious people who have degrees and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. It's um, this this idea of, uh, of of I don't know if it really fits into the holographic universe idea, but but this like Might. That's reality is is not what we necessarily perceive, and that what we all perceive might be influenced by uh, by us. That's yeah. not. Don't try to diagram that sentence, but you know it, it's it's that sort of idea. What are you working on? I am um, I am I am working on the podcast, and that's that's the big thing. Um, that's sort of scratching my writing and research itch right mm-hmm. now. Um, I'm I'm working on a bunch of very boring things that are due tomorrow, I believe. Um, educational stuff, re- like resource reference. Okay, history I, I won't materials. keep you too much longer. So I'm, I'm working on that, and um, our uh, our college is at the point in its accreditation cycle where it needs forty thousand words written. So I've for the accreditation people. So I am um, one of my part time jobs, aside from the full time teaching, is working on those that accreditation stuff. So there's not a lot of time for book length writing. So the uh, the podcast is sort of fulfilling that uh, that gap in my life. And, and allowing me to get stuff out there much more quickly than um, than a book would. So it's and it's enabling me to, to write about stuff without getting fed up with a topic before I'm done with it, which is has been a problem in the past. So. What you think you're going to be fed up with this with, with the with the uh, UFO contact whatever topic? 
No, but but like when I had to write books and stuff, it uh-huh. was, I would get sick of the book before I was done writing it. And so that made it just <laughs> sort of like this endless event horizon where you'd never get to the end because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> time would slow down. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I can totally yeah, – I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's, it's like time slows down, but the deadline keeps coming closer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, So exactly. Oh, God. Yeah. And so I, I, have, I have to have a deadline. I, I don't do anything without a deadline. Oh, I, nope. Nope. I, I, I make up arbitrary deadlines for myself with stuff because otherwise, you know, stuff wouldn't get done. Yeah, I have to. I mean, it's kind of like uh, – let's see. When uh, – when uh, 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 Defies Language came out, my arbitrary deadline is I'm going to have it done by, I think, um, UFO Congress, I think, or right after oh, okay. it, something like that, so that I can announce it to everybody. And then when it was done, everybody could go home and order it. So that kind of thing. And th- that's the only yeah. arbitrary, that way I could keep an arbitrary deadline. This one, it'll it'll give me such a headache that um, actually Miguel red pill suggested this. He said, if you don't get a publisher, you aren't going to do it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Is that how That's... you, are, are you self starting enough to do something without like a deadline and publisher? It doesn't sound no. like it. Yeah. No, I, I just can't. I, I, I need, I need some sort of legal documentation binding me to a date. <laughs> um, exactly. And uh, I've only, I think I only, I've only missed a deadline once. So, that was and that was just by by a week or so. So, if I have something in writing and, and people who consume me, um, well, yeah, I, I smart editors tell you they want it like a, 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 for a book a month or two before they actually yep. want it. Yep. And I've told I, that I, I've I, told editors I that I'd say please lie to me and just tell me a couple months before you actually <laughs> need it. I mean, we both know you're doing that, but please do it. Yeah, because because otherwise, you know, it just it would never get done. Yeah, it would never get it would never get started. I'd be in you know the planning phase forever. Yeah, and, and never actually do it. Yeah, and and Go Rightly's like tearing his hair out right now because he waited on me for months to finish my part of the uh, the uh, um, A.S. Radamski. Oh so, yeah. How do you integrate this into your teaching? Because you, why don't you tell people? Because like, I know you teach at what Michigan State, uh, Mott Community College. Okay, one okay. one sort of major city over from Michigan State. And okay. uh, what I've done, actually, That's the most right. recent I'm sorry, thing I is uh, I've got a, a, a U.S. history class, modern U.S. history class. We were doing the 50s on uh, Thursday. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? The, these these young people, because they all, I think all but one of them are, are traditional college-age students, which is unusual to community college. Usually there's a much more diverse age group. But these young people, these young people don't know what it's like, what it was like back in the 50s. So I'm going to read some, I think I read a little bit to him from um, Kerouac's Subterraneans. I was um, just about I to said, say, you know, nobody hears about what real people lived like at the time. Yeah. All you hear so about I, is the history. The, yep. The, and I said, so So I'm just going to read one I'm going to read you one sentence from the subterraneans and it was like a page and a half long. So, um, <laughs> and, and I, I didn't breathe through the whole thing, but then I, I read them a little bit of, um, uh, secret of the saucers by, uh, Orfeo Angelucci. Yeah. When, uh, when he's, he's talking about, um, you know, the evils of communism and the, the alien whose name is Neptune, which is really confusing, um, explains <laughs> that communism is the greatest 
communism is the greatest evil to face mankind, but it's a necessary evil because it highlights the good. And I was like, so in the 1950s, how do you think many readers would have reacted to reading that communism is in any way necessary? And so that we were able to talk about that sort of thing. So I I make it part of just actually the the contacty stuff becomes part of um, resistance and and sort of resistance to the the sort of monolithic monoculture commercialization um, patriotism mode of the 50s. Um, And it's so the the contactees and the flying saucer stuff is is more like the beats and less like rock and roll, which was mm-hmm. you know, highly, com- highly commodified and, um, and, and things like that. Mm. So, um, it's, it's fun to talk about and, 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 uh, students seem to take it in good humor. Um, good humor. You'd you think know, they'd kind of be into it. They, they, they are as much as they're into anything. Um, th- this is a, this is an introductory general education course that they're taking as an elective because they need X number of social science courses. So I see. Um, I've got a lot of students that I'm I'm mostly just trying to keep them engaged enough that they that they do well and don't uh, and don't leave. So <laughs> there's a then, go ahead. Yeah, and then then a student you know leaves because he looks bored, and, and then I announce you know. It's going to be essay number three on the exam. Don't tell that guy. Or, or something like that. But uh, no, I, I, I never say don't tell the guy. It's like, it's up to you whether or not you share this information with your colleagues who decided not to show up today. Yeah. So they're like, we're, like, we're not going to tell them. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I, um, for the last couple of years now, I've been lecturing at this guy's, uh, his name is, um, uh, he's going to be mad at me now. William, um, da, da, da. Damn it! I keep saying Donovan. Uh, oh, the OSS guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I will add it in later. But for the last couple of years, I've been lecturing at um, uh, at uh, UC Irvine. There's a guy that teaches a class in conspiracy culture. Oh, uh, cool! And this is, I think, it's a, a social uh, a social science elective class, and um, he shows uh, Mirage Men. And then afterwards, he has me walk in and talk about Mirage Man. And I could just, just sit there and, you know, yak about anything I want. And then they ask me questions. And I've noticed over the last few years, the class is getting more and more and more filled up. Cool. Because cool. I guess, at least in California, where, you know, everybody, uh, the students out here are very much into the conspiracy culture and that it's, um, they're engaged with the subject. It's, it's kind of refreshing. I don't know. It might even be frightening, but it's mostly refreshing. It's it is. Um, I'm I'm seeing more students who are aware, more aware of major conspiracy themes than than there used to be. Um, mm-hmm. What I wish, what I really wish, is, and I, I sound like I sound like an old person, but I really <laughs> wish students would learn about their conspiracy stuff from reading actual books. Um, right. so many of them know what they know because they watched a YouTube video. <laughs> and if you've seen some of these YouTube videos, it's, it's just very surface level stuff. And it's like, I want, what I want to say is like, you know what, you want to know how conspiracies work? Read a, go read a copy of the octopus, read that. And if you can handle that, Ken Thomas has been, yeah, Ken Thomas and uh, Jim Keith. Right. And, and right. It was, it was, um, it, it's cause it's one of those books where, it starts off as as something small. There's this software thing, and then it gets yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. And, 
and you know we're spying on our allies and there's a, a murder that's made to look like a very badly made to look like a suicide and um and the cover-up comes down and it's it's just this I tell people this is what conspiracies actually look like. Conspiracy theories talk about the Illuminati and things you can't actually put your finger on because they're just big and amorphous. Yeah. But real conspiracies and real good conspiracy writing, you know, is so full of details and names that all fit together very well, but plausibly and not in a we're making everything fit because we're David Icke sort of way, <laughs> but yeah. in a a very plausible way. Um and it's and there are holes in it. And, and if you're reading a well done book about a conspiracy theory, there are going to be holes. There are going to be things that you're like, I'm not sure about that because I don't think the evidence is right. Bad conspiracy theory writing leaves no breathing room yeah. because they've filled every hole. And that's not possible even when you have all the available information. Yeah. You're not going to fill every hole. Mm-hmm. So that's why when, when students I do occasionally get students asking me about David Icke. And I'm just like, you ever notice how he answers every possible question? Yeah, because he really does his research. Like, no, it's because when you make stuff up, you can you can you can fill every gap. Yeah. When, when you when you interpret everything as shape shifting reptilians and we're all living in the matrix, then you well when you say we're all living in the matrix, you can do anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, exactly. That that's <laughs> it's funny. That's the nature of the matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is to be able to do that. <laughs> so not to not to sound like too big of a of a Ken Thomas fan boy, um, you know, people want to young if the youngs out there want to to read some good conspiracy stuff, read the octopus and read. Oh, it's JFK and UFO. It was the Maury Island incident, but the the newer edition is JFK and UFO, um, and that is. One of those ones where I, I have to get out, you know, like a big whiteboard to keep track of everybody <laughs> and everything that's going on. And I look like one of those guys with a whiteboard with a bunch of names and lines going back and forth. Well, you, you kind of have stuff. to. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was going yeah. to be it, it's sort of it's going to sort of kind of be a pop up uh, writing Mysterio. So which means I might post it a little bit sooner. Cool. Um, I've been trying to keep away from ums and uhs and you knows, but I have no idea. That's what most of my editing goes into is just taking out me sounding stupid. So, I think we've done pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. Maybe I'll just put it up almost as is. I'll give it a listen through. It's uh, it, it's sort of um, you know the radio mysterioso from the street. Yes. You know, just yeah. <laughs> exactly. I yeah. I don't want I don't want my legacy to be um uh you know so. <laughs> <laughs> The if people want to uh, see what's going on, the, at least with reference to this show and what we talk about, probably the best place to look is saucerlife dot com, right? Yes, yes, saucerlife dot com and saucerlife on Twitter. Okay, yeah. um, let me let me get uh, f- uh, YouTube up here so that I can uh, find out which song you want to hear for the outro. You don't know. Um, song. Let's see. Let's see a good song. Oh, you've done attention occupants of interplanetary craft really recently, haven't you? I uh, I've played it before. You mean calling yeah. occupants? Yeah, I've, yeah, I actually posted on it, uh, and the like two or three or four different uh, versions are, are yeah, out there because it was world because it was World Contact Day. Yeah, on the fifteenth. Oh, Flying saucer, rock and roll. Oh, by uh, oh yeah. 
I think I have it, but let me just get it off of um, YouTube here. Billy Riley, that's it. Yes, yes. Or as it says here on the little promo, Billy Lee Riley. Huh, I've well, never... He's probably from the South, so it's either Billy or Billy Lee. Billy Lee. So it's Billy, Billy Lee Bob. Riley. Yeah, Flan Billy Salsa. Bob Riley. All right. All right, Aaron, thanks Thanks so much, and thanks for coming on in this uh, short notice. All right, Flying Saucer, uh, Flying Saucer's Rock and Roll by Billy Lee Riley. Thanks so much, Aaron. Stop me dead. 